a couple of weeks ago, I had some I had some time off. I, I was showing an American friend around some UK sites, and we went to this wonderful castle in northeast England that overlooks this beautiful beach. Um, and it's one of these castles that you just stand and look at and go, wow. And as I was walking along the beach um, with the castle in the background, I saw a couple of sand castles on the beach. So I lay right down on the floor with a, with my my phone and took a picture of the sandcastle with the real castle in the background and thought, this is what preaching's like. There's that amazing castle and the best I can do is this slightly flimsy kind of replication made out of sand, which is sort of obviously nothing as good as the real thing, but does have some correspondence to it. And yet God still uses it. It's amazing, isn't it? Hi, and welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 188. I'm your host, Mike Neglia, and the voice that you just heard is that of Sam Albury. Uh, Sam is an editor for the Gospel Coalition. He's a pastor, an apologist, uh, a speaker. He's written books titled, Is God Anti-Gay? Seven Myths About Singleness. And his most recent book, which we discussed a little bit in this interview, is what God has to say about our bodies. So Sam and I speak about like embodied preaching uh, during the era that we lived through of live streams and Zoom calls. And uh, in addition to that, uh, I think Sam is just a real standout example of somebody who uh, preaches in a way that really connects with those who aren't yet Christians. Um, He's able to speak in a way that outsiders are invited to become insiders. Uh, Finally, we talk about the type of prayers that he prays as he prepares to preach. So I'll mention it in just a moment at the start of the interview, but this is you know, actually the second time that we've tried to get Sam on this show. In fact, in 2019, we recorded an interview with him in person and due to a technological glitch, it was gone. So we're thankful to Sam for coming back again. And I know that you're going to enjoy this conversation. I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's Word. Well, hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective podcast. I'm I'm personally very thrilled uh, to be speaking with Sam Albury. Uh, Sam, good afternoon. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, we've been, yeah, conversing, uh, you know, via emails leading up to this. And uh, this is the second attempt for you, uh, for us anyway, to get you on the Expositors Collective podcast. Uh, You were part of the great 2009 audio disaster where we had a lot of really good conversations with people in person in Costa Mesa, California, and none of those actually worked. So you've given an interview for this show before, but this is going to be the one that that makes it out there. So thank you so much for giving us a second chance, Sam. Uh, not a problem, not a problem. Uh, you had mentioned that uh, you also experienced kind of an audio disaster um, earlier on that I think is actually more more traumatic than mine. What, what, what was yours? Yeah, mine was back in 1999. So um, I was working for a ministry and um, one of the projects that ministry was involved with was a, a book on missions and part of the book was a free CD-ROM, which we can explain at some other point what one of those was. A CD-ROM. I haven't heard those words in years. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, it's yeah. And it had like audio clips and other kind of like bonus features, but all audio type things. And one of which was a an interview slash presentation from John Stott. So I had this, this wonderful um, privilege of going to John Stott's home with the sort of tape recorder type thing of whatever it was in those days. Um, and he was just delightful, gracious, sat down. We, we went through all the stuff. He was word perfect, as you would imagine, not a syllable out of place, really wonderful, rich content. And at the end of it, I sort of thanked him. I said, that was absolutely terrific. And then realized I had never pressed record. So I then had to say to John Stott, uh, wow. Hey, that was a great dress rehearsal. 
I always like to do it twice just in case. And uh, I had to come clean and say, listen, I forgot to press record. And he could not have been more gracious and sweet and acted, acted at least as though that was not the slightest bit of inconvenience. Um, and he was, yeah, I, he was very forgiving about the whole thing. But I still, you know, went to the FBI witness protection scheme and started a new identity immediately. <laughs> Well, nice. Wow. Wow. Well, I got to say, you Anglicans are so nice. Thanks for giving us, uh, yeah, another chance. So John Stock gave you another chance. And thank you so much for giving the Expositors Collective a, another Well, listen, chance. you just compared me to John Stock on any front. I will, I will always welcome that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. So the first question, you know, this is always how we start these interviews. Uh, but, but Sam, could you tell us about like your first time ever, ever preaching preaching a sermon. How did it go and, and where was it? Can you bring us into that story? Yeah. So um, I was trying to remember when the first time was. I'd been asked to do one or two sort of little five-minute talks here and there. Um, okay. The very first talk I think I ever gave was to a, to the youth ministry that I had only just been converted in a year earlier. And mm. that was meant mm. to be a short talk on Psalm 51 and was an just an absolute catastrophe. Um, I mean, it really was. I said I had no one gave me any guidance. I'd only been a Christian for about a year. I was 18 years old and 18 years stupid for that, you know. And I remember giving the talk afterwards feeling, I'm not sure that was actually any good, and said to one of the leaders, was that was that okay? And he said, not really, no. <laughs> so it just makes me glad that I was cutting my teeth at a time when we we weren't live streaming and YouTubing these things. Otherwise, I don't know if there would have been a second time. The first sort of exposition I remember doing was a talk on the cross from Mark 8, uh, where Peter basically confronts Jesus and tells him not to <laughs> not to die. And Jesus then rebukes mm. Peter in, that, in those very strong words. I think that was the first sort of full-length exposition I can remember ever giving. And being nervous on multiple fronts, I grew up with a deep fear of public speaking. So any standing up in front of other people was terrifying anyway. Having to do a talk from the Bible to a, you know, a, this this group of of Christians was also intimidating. And then the fact that it was on the most important topic you could preach on, which is mm. the death of mm. Jesus. Um, yeah. But that th was good. I felt the weightiness of having to speak on that on that topic. Um, it, it did feel weighty to me. I, I realized I was having to steward something that was far too valuable for me to be carrying around. So um, I think that that was that did me good having that. That sort of it, it felt very solemn to have to do that. Yeah, yeah, and, and and rightly so. Was was this to adults or was this to your the the, the same youth group? This was to a mixture actually of adults and youth. Um, okay. And it felt a bit more real and a bit more public than other things I'd done up until that point. Yeah. Well then, yeah, kind of the obvious next question then is, uh, what was it, was it better? Did, did, if you would have asked somebody afterwards, how did it go? Would they have said not very good? No, the Lord, the Lord really used it. Um, I remember, I remember being deeply moved as I was giving it, um, the Lord had done something in me through the very message as I was preparing it. Um, and something of that, that sense of heaviness and gravity I was feeling, I was feeling deeply burdened by it. Um, that seemed to to come across and to be experienced by by other people too. Um, so I had, a, I had a sense of the Lord speaking through me, which was a, a wonderful privilege and encouragement. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And and from there, did you just become a regular preacher or was there kind of a, a process uh, before it became more of a regular rhythm of your life? Yeah, definitely a, a process. I, I, I was at that point still a university student. I graduated, um, worked for a Christian missionary organization for a few years and did a few talks and presentations as part of that. There's a, a, a UK ministry which basically does vacations for groups of Christians uh, and we'll always have a sort of 30-minute exposition each evening. So I used to go and be a speaker on those, which was a wonderful way of doing, you know, six expositions 
in a row, um, night by night. Uh, that was a the first time I ever got to kind of preach a series, an expository series. So I sort of cut my teeth on some of those trips. But I, I think I sort of started doing regular Sunday by Sunday preaching really after I went to seminary and started working for a church. That was when it sort of really began to be the sort of weekly rhythm of it. And that would have been, that would have been a few years yeah. after my initial attempts. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, rightly so. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I'd love to ask essentially like, yeah, what are the ways that you think that as a preacher that you've, you've grown over the years or, or maybe to put it in more of a negative way, like what are the unhelpful things that you used to do that you've, you've hopefully grown out of by now? Yeah, this, this came home to me actually quite recently. I was asked to preach on a text and as I looked at the text, I thought, oh, I, I think I've preached on this before. So I dug out a sermon from about 10 or 12 years ago, thinking, oh, you know, I'll see what I had to say about it then, see how much. Yeah, I might recycle this bad boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, went through that sermon and thought, okay, there are some interesting and good insights from the passage there. But my overwhelming sense was too much exegesis, not enough Jesus. And I pulled out some other sermons from the same period to think, just to see if this was typical of, of what my preaching had been like, and came to the same conclusion, which was I'm doing far too much, I'm bringing far too much exegesis into the sermon itself. And too much of the sermon is sort of explaining the passage and then saying something warm about Jesus at the end of it. And at the time I I didn't even notice that was a that was an issue, but um since then, yeah, I, I look back on those and think that they, they were they were warm, they were true, they were you know helping people to understand the passage. But I, I wasn't preaching Christ in the way that I would now attempt to. Yeah, it, and it's a balance, and it's going to depend on the passage and and the the kind of text you're teaching anyway. But you know, my my question now, as I as I prepare a sermon, is that the first and foremost. How does this passage help us to fall in love with Christ even more, to marvel at him even more? And therefore, I I don't want to waste any of that precious real estate on something that isn't actually going to to move our hearts towards Jesus. Now, that does mean sometimes you have to to kind of unpack some complex argument in the passage or explain some, some aspect of the, you know, background or context to it. But um I don't just want to explain the passage. I want to really preach Christ and show us how the passage is doing that. Um, and there's a there's obviously lots of overlap. I don't I don't not want exegesis. It's a it's an indispensable part of the preparation. But I don't want to spend too much time in the sermon showing people how I understood what verse two meant, rather than actually just presenting Christ from verse two. You want to give people some working because you're teaching them how to handle scripture themselves but without making it a sort of comprehension exercise yeah and in a conversation that i got to have with your uh, colleague uh ray ray ortland he was said something kind of similar going through previous sermons that he's done i think he said they were written on a, on a typewriter and <laughs> and saying that they were they were full of truth and they were full of yeah solid exegetical work but he was saying that um that he thinks that that should have just kind of stayed at the study, but shouldn't have been brought up in the pulpit. That essentially there's that that preparatory, that excavating work that needs to be done, and then and we don't need to do a step by step, play by play of how I discovered this. Essentially, we say this is what we discovered. Isn't this wonderful? Exactly, and um, and what's changed is is my understanding of what is happening when we preach, because I think previously I had thought. My job is to explain the passage and, and obviously explain it as a Christian to Christians commending Christ. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's, I've got a sharper focus now, um, which means that, again, I, there'd be lots of things that would now fall on the, the kind of cutting room floor um, that previously would have gone into the sermon. I'm going to spend more time talking about Jesus, not in a bland, samey way, but as, as we understand him from this text. Yeah. 
And for myself, from a a Calvary Chapel heritage, uh, personally, and I know that some, not all, of the listeners of this podcast come from that, I think that's a a, a gift that we've been given, the emphasis in our own network about uh, the the aspect of teaching the Bible. But um, in addition to to teaching, we're also meant to, to herald Christ from it. And then it, it ought to be, I believe, yeah, kind of a doxological event, not just informative. That's that's exactly it. It's not, here's, here's the data in my head that I need to get into your head. It's, hey, here's, here's this passage's case for, for your heart being drawn afresh to Christ today. Um, I heard an interview with, with Mike Reeves and someone asked him, what's the difference between teaching and preaching? And he said, I work in a seminary, so sometimes I have to teach heresies, but I would never preach them. And I love that because teaching there is, you know, explaining something so that people can understand it. Preaching is this is what I want your hearts to be set upon. Um, and there's there's teaching involved in preaching, but um, we must never only be teaching the passage. We're, as you say, we're meant to be heralds of of Christ himself. Actually, Ephesians two seventeen totally wrecked, totally wrecked my view of preaching. A, a few years ago, I was minding my own business, reading Ephesians, and Paul had just said, "Christ Himself is our our peace," and then he says, "He came and preached peace to you who were far away and those who were near," which I must have read dozens of times. But suddenly, it occurred to me, when did that happen? And I realized Paul must be talking about when the gospel first came to Ephesus. And I suddenly realized, okay, so Paul is saying Christ came and preached peace, and Christ is our peace. So Christ came and preached Christ into the hearts of the Ephesians through Paul and Paul's colleagues and whoever else was was involved in that work. And I thought, I, I didn't know that was a thing. But now I know it's a thing. I don't ever want anything other than that happening on a Sunday morning. Yeah. So, and and how 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 does a a preacher? You and me, we're preachers. The listeners to this, they're they're preachers. But are, are you saying that there's a another preacher in the room that's that's working as as we're trying to labor in the pulpit? I am, and I'm 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 longing for that preacher to be the one who is heard and known and remembered. Um, I I I used to think great sermon feedback was when someone said, "Hey, that was a really great sermon. You're a great preacher. Thank you very much." I now realize the best sermon feedback is when people just come up to you afterwards and say, I just, isn't Jesus wonderful? Um, you know, just as we think he couldn't be better, he, he then is. And I love it when someone will say at church, hey, do you remember that, that, that amazing sermon we had on, you know, whatever it was, and how we saw that Jesus is X, Y, and Z. And then they'll say, and I, I, I can't remember who preached it, but I just remember that that, so they've remembered the Jesus and not the and not the human vehicle, and that that's actually what we want as preachers, um, which doesn't mean we're we're completely incidental, but we we don't want to be you know he must increase we must decrease. I just finished up uh, a long series through John's Gospel uh, yesterday, and you know there's no there's no better way to end the Gospel of John than than how John did. He said, now there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain all the books that would be written. And and that's John. And that's him just, you know, essentially preaching his guts out over 21 chapters. And he's <laughs> saying, this is only, it's only selective. It's only, it's only piecemeal. It's, it's partial. Um, I have, there's so much more that could be said. And if that is him empowered by God, the Holy Spirit as an eyewitness himself, then certainly too, couldn't we say the same thing as kind of like a, almost like an asterisk at the end of every closing prayer that we ever pray. You know, this is, I think, I believe this is true, but there's more than than I could have said. And I hope that I've glorified Christ, but there's so much more that that he deserves. And hopefully um, these people will see and learn over the future. On on Saturday, I was catching up with Ray. Um, We we were both preparing different sermons for different churches on the Sunday. And we we came to the conclusion that you know you can never do justice fully do justice to the to the text you can never do justice to the lord but that we were going to try and enjoy failing as much as we possibly could um 
And I, a couple of weeks ago, I had some I had some time off. I, I was showing an American friend around some UK sites, and we went to this wonderful castle in northeast England that overlooks this beautiful beach. Um, and it's one of these castles that you just stand and look at and go, wow. And as I was walking along the beach um, with the castle in the background, I saw a couple of sand castles on the beach. So I lay right down on the floor with a, with my my phone and took a picture of the sandcastle with the real castle in the background and thought, this is what preaching's like. There's that amazing castle. And the best I can do is this slightly flimsy kind of replication made out of sand, which is sort of obviously nothing as good as the real thing, but does have some correspondence to it. And yet God still uses it. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's like sometimes films say, you know, they're inspired by actual events. <laughs> maybe maybe our sermons at best are inspired by actual events. Yes, yeah, although with, with movies, they tend to be more interesting than the actual events. <laughs> oh, um, good point. Good counterpoint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, Sam, I think one of the things that like that you're maybe uh, particularly or uniquely gifted at is like is preaching and teaching in a way that actually kind of like makes sense to to the outside world. I know that you've you've put a lot of thought and it really does does come across. Um, how how can we, even if we're just making sandcastles or even if it's, you know, our, our, our paltry attempts, um, it seems that your paltry attempts uh, do connect with 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 unbelievers or with, you know, to use the word outsiders. Um, is that is that a, a, just a natural inborn skill or is that something that you've you've put work into and, and how how can we grow in that area? I'm sure it's a, a combination of things. Um, I'm I'm very grateful for the Lord's timing in in when I became a Christian. I became a Christian as I turned 18, and it was early enough in life that I hadn't yet had the opportunity to get into all kinds of things that I would now grieve as a believer. But it was late enough that I can still remember what it feels like to be an unbelieving adult, and I still have many people in my family and, and friends who who wouldn't say that they're Christians. And I, you know, I'm often listening to sermons through their ears, if you like, and thinking that would make no sense to my cousin or my brother or whoever it might be. Um, so I'm always trying to, I'm always trying to preach to the the 17 year old version of me. And I've just got enough enough people close to me who are, are not Christians to to know what would be over their heads and to know something of what's going through their minds. Um, the other thing, actually, is is a bit of a confession, which is I I don't particularly like listening to sermons. Um, I've I've always had that the part of me that is always going, yeah, so what, and that that helps me too because I've got to try and write a sermon that that I find. Um, compelling enough to to want to preach, let alone listen to. So I never want to assume the audience owes me 30, 40 minutes of their time. Um, I'm, I'm thinking, how can I best serve them, you know, with whatever they've come into church thinking about, how can I get them from, you know, kicking the cat on the way out of the house to, to where the, the Bible is going to be wanting to take them? So... I, th- I think I'm more sensitive to to what it's like being an outsider in the church for that reason. Okay, and uh, I wonder: are there certain things that when when you do listen to a sermon, or even when you read your own notes, what are the sorts of things that you think eh, my cousin wouldn't like this, or or what are the are there kind of like just r- routines or things that that we preachers regularly do that make sense to us? but that don't make sense to to the people that we ought to be thinking of. Yeah, there, there would be several things. One is simply the language we use is often a bit unintelligible to outsiders, and almost always there would be other ways of saying it that are, are completely understandable. Um, so that that's one thing. Another thing is sometimes speaking in a way that assumes, well, of course, all of us believe this kind of thing, don't we? Because then an outsider is going to be thinking, you know, hello, um, am I meant to be here? Do you even know that I'm here? Should I leave? You know, um, so I think speaking in a way that even if you don't explain something that you know is going to bump on an outsider, at least acknowledging the fact that 
this may sound odd to someone who's new to Christian things, um, and maybe we can come back to that another time. It just at least they know that you've seen them and you've heard them, um, and that you you know that there are reasonable people who who aren't with you on this. Um, I think those would be the the main things, or or speaking in a way that actually is can be quite insensitive to to people who aren't Christians. Um, I think I see this more in the states than in, in the UK, but there can be a little bit of a a bit of a triumphalism, almost. A, hey, aren't aren't we aren't we the clever guys for being Christians? Kind of mentality. We're on the right side, which in a in a proper context can be a, a wonderful expression of confidence in in the Lord and His purposes, but can sound like we're clever for, for picking the right team to join, and God's joined our team too. Yeah, totally, totally get it. Yeah, there is there is gospel confidence that that we can have, but yeah, devoid of humility, uh, yeah, that can really just smack of, yeah, we we are the correct ones. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, huh? Because yeah, I, again, I think it's a maybe a, a unique skill set that that you have, and that I've benefited from listening to you know over the past six seven years, and. When you break it down and say it's just as simple as not using specialized terminology, um, acknowledging that not everyone is Christian in the room, and just not being a jerk, I think, oh, maybe it's not so hard <laughs> after all. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, I, I, I wish I was better at it. I'm, I'm encouraged that you think I've got somewhere on that. Um, I, I would love to be more effective at doing that. Well, I think you're, you're, you're on a list of people who I think do, do it well. Um, well, hey, here's 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 another question I'd love to ask you. Um, I know that you've uh, recently published a book from Crossway. Uh, what does God say about our bodies? And there's there's a lot in here, but but maybe if I could speak to you or ask you some questions about like the the unique experience that we have a, as a world have lived through in the past eighteen months of so much of like our church gatherings not actually being gatherings, and so much of our preaching being disembodied. Um, uh, yeah, and, and and I realize it's not really addressed in this book. It must have been written <laughs> before the the great uh, the great disembodiment that took place in in 2020. But if you were to write it again uh, on on the other end of the pandemic, or hopefully we're we're, we're almost through it. But uh, what what would you maybe say about like the importance of the gathered church um, after living through a time of us being exclusively scattered and digitized versions of ourselves? Yeah, we 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 cannot escape the significance, the importance, the necessity of physical presence. Um, God, God has made us embodied for a reason. Um, our physical presence means something. It, it does something that our virtual presence can't. Um, virtual presence is way better than no presence at all. So praise God for live streams and Zoomy things during the pandemic. But those are never going to be enough. Uh, they're not. They're just not meant to be enough. And you know that the biblical imperative in Hebrews ten to to encourage one another. Actually, we we need that physical, embodied, real presence here and now relationship in which to most effectively do that. Um, we can we can get somewhere during a pandemic with online things. We can we can receive teaching and and encouragement of, of sorts, but it will never be what we actually fully need and are, are designed for um, unless we are physically gathering. Um, not least because, you know, in, in Ephesians, we're, we're singing from our hearts to the Lord and we're also singing to one another. I think it's Ephesians or Colossians that says that. Um, I, that doesn't happen online. <laughs> um, I could be sung to by the church music group, but there's something about seeing you know, some old saint who I know and I know how much they're suffering and yet I'm seeing them having joyful defiance um, as they sing praise to God. That does something to my soul. Um, and I, I can't get that kind of encouragement without actually being in the room with other physically beating hearts. So, yeah, it's it's going to be hugely significant and I, I hope one of the things that comes out of, of this pandemic is I know some people will have decided, well, church in my PJs is way better than church in in presence, but I hope a whole load of other people will be thinking, gosh, I don't ever want to take physical presence at church for granted again. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you write that, you know, there's no substitute for physical presence. Hearing people's voices on a call can be wonderful. Seeing their faces on a screen, even more so. But presence is uniquely meaningful. And, and it is. And I wrote in the, mar- in, the, in the margin, this is a unique lockdown pain that, that all we had was the, uh, the faces on, on the screen. And yeah, you know, I, I live in Ireland and I think Ireland has had the, the most restrictive lockdown out of all of Europe. And so it was also maybe a unique challenge too to, to see my friends in, in the UK or in the US or elsewhere. And their life just goes back to normal. And, and we're still doing, you know, live stream church or, or you know, video at home church uh, months into the easing of the restrictions everywhere, everywhere else. So, but anyway, hopefully we're through it. Hopefully it's the last time we ever have to, to think about this, but, but, but we should think about it in that as we gather together, let's make the most of it as we gather together rather than take it for granted. What, what's also been interesting is, is preaching virtually as well during that season in one, it, I found it strangely exhausting not having physical faces to be speaking to, um, because you're, you're preaching to a camera. I find that really, I, I suddenly realized how much I get from mm. seeing the, the congregation, uh, feeling that something of their response, being able to read the room that helps me as a preacher and the absence of that, I, it, it made me find, it sounded pathetic at first. Cause I remember thinking all I'm doing is standing or sitting in front of a webcam <laughs> for 25 minutes or whatever it is and, yes. and speaking and then yeah. I switch it off and I'm done. But that, it felt far more, I mean, preaching is, is depleting, but there's also something I receive from the people of God as I'm preaching because we, we, you've, the feeling of we're all coming under this word together and we're carrying each other as we are, are challenged or encouraged or whatever it might be. So it felt it felt very odd um, doing having to preach to a screen. And a friend of mine, I can't remember who it was now, said, "Actually, think of it. You're not preaching to a camera. You're preaching through a camera." That helped a little bit, and we we started sticking pictures of congregation members around the, the lens, so we could at least feel as though there were some familiar faces that we were thinking about. But um, that was strangely exhausting um, doing that kind of ministry. I don't know how you found that. Yeah. I'm glad to hear you say that. I found it to be, yeah, so, so tiring. And I found that I would just, um, postpone it for as long as I could (laughs) Uh, (laughs) because you're you're not, you're not kind of gathered together. So it's not as if like, you know, the, the worship team sits down and then you have the reading and then, and then you're on it's, you know, I'd, I'd be in this, I'd be in this office and I'd be like, well, I, I, you know, cause, cause I didn't do it live. I don't know if you guys did or not, but you know, I'd pre-record it earlier in the week and essentially I, I just had to have it in by Thursday. And, and I found that I would just be here in the office, just trying to like psych myself up for, um, all right, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, here we go. And it would be like, as the sun would begin to set, I'd have to hurry up and, and do it because it's just like <laughs> oh, this again, again, cause yeah, you finish it, you preach your guts out, you close in prayer. And then, you know, for those of us maybe in smaller churches without like a video team, then you kind of close in prayer and then like awkwardly walk across the room and then turn off the camera <laughs> and then take the SD card out and then upload it. You know, it's just like this, it's such a weird, depleting, odd time. But It is. And, and the other thing about it is you're, as you say, you have to sort of psych yourself up and it, it makes you realize how much the whole church service serves to prepare both the congregation and the preacher for the ministry of the word, because you're already singing the word and receiving God's truth in that way. And you, you're kind of, that makes you just ready to preach in a way that suddenly Thursday at 10, 15, you just randomly stand up in front of a camera and then start preaching it. It's, yeah. yes. it's, yes. it, it is artificial to some extent. Um, so Oh uh, yeah, in many in many extents, yeah. <laughs> in fact, it's hard to think of a way in which it's not artificial. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least at least it's you and not like an avatar or you know some artificial intelligence type thing. Yeah. Okay, you're right. It could always go one or two levels deeper. But it's good that we don't find it very satisfying as preachers because it's it's not actually what we are made for and called to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Certainly. So yeah, you're right. I mean, like you're, you're big on like the, the embodied reality, but then you're right to even talk about even our church services when we kind of dissect them into these different, these different pieces, you know? And again, I'm not, I'm not a musician. I, I wasn't playing on a, on a worship team, but I know they have their own unique challenges too. You know, the person that's been playing bass alone, uh, you know, to have that combined in the rest, that's gotta be a challenging thing as well too. But anyway, we're, we're just reminiscing about something that, you know, hopefully please God, we never have to do again, but Here's something that we will do again. We will prepare sermons. So let me just kind of <laughs> cram this back into our, our main theme. So Sam, like, what's your like weekly like sermon prep routine? Uh, first off, acknowledging, uh, as far as I know, I don't think you're preaching weekly any longer. Is that something that you used to do, but but now don't anymore? Yeah. So when I was working full time for a church, I would be preaching sort of four Sundays out of five or whatever it was. Yeah. That, that sort of regularity. Uh, so it would be part of the weekly rhythm and, you know, was the sermon preparation was a significant part of that. Um, I preach probably, um, I mean, it varies. I'm, I'm in the process of, of moving to, to Nashville from the UK. And so everything's at a slightly in limbo and with COVID even more so. Mm. So, um, there's, I've not yet settled into whatever my new normal will be, uh, once I've moved, but, um, sure. I'm, probably preaching most weeks in some capacity, but it's not quite the same as having the weekly sermon to prepare for the church family. Okay. Well, I, I didn't know that it was still an ongoing thing. I just don't see you on the uh, Emmanuel podcast feed <laughs> showing up very much these days. So I assumed, oh, you must not be preaching, but you are just not there. Yeah. 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 And I'm doing a few things with Zoom to other places too. Um, but yeah, in terms of what that would look like in a given week, um, the sort of shape of, of sermon preparation for me is um, discovery, deliberation, design, delivery. Um, so discovery is just, you know, roaming around the text, looking at interesting things, seeing what's there um, without any pressure to have to do anything with it yet. I'm just there exploring and enjoying the, the scenery. Um Deliberation is when I'm beginning to think through, okay, so what does all this actually mean? What is the the text trying to put across? What is the message of this? Um, how will that begin to land on us? What is the burden of the passage that we want to have on our hearts? Um, what are the, the unique contours of this part of scripture? Um, what unique light might it shed on, on who Jesus is? Um, so that's all deliberation. Um, design is then thinking through, okay, what's going to be the right way to construct the sermon? Um, it doesn't. It, it's not always going to be looking at every verse in in order and stopping at each one, um, but thinking through, okay, what are the main what are the main things I want to teach? Am I going to have sermon headings? What are they going to be? How many points will there be? How will they cohere? Um, how how am I going to set up? the particular thing that this passage addresses in a way that we're feeling the need for that at the very beginning of the sermon. So all of those things are, are part of the design. Um, and then the delivery is, is then both the getting that down um, and then standing up and preaching it. Um, through all of that is, is our hope doxology, which is, again, how does this passage help me and move me to worship Christ? And the writing, the sermon part actually happens. I, I used to think I do all of my work and thinking, and then I'll write my sermon. Increasingly, I, I, it's, a, it's a bit less um, kind of binary than that. And as I'm discovering things, I'll be jotting things down sort of random. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and that will be, you know, and deliberation through all of that, I'll be starting to scribble down different thoughts and some of which will become parts of the sermon, some of which will, will end up on in the offcuts <laughs> folder. Um, so yeah, that, that's sort of the way that tends to work. I, I, I type like most people, I type my sermons, but I, I find, I think better with a pen and paper. So I still do a lot of my uh, initial drafting and just getting thoughts down with a pen and paper. And then as I'm at the sort of design stage, I begin to think through, okay, I'm going to start getting all this on, on my laptop. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. Um, like I find that, that writing is like, it's a thinking act. There is something that's just is. like wonderful and tactile and it's, it's not just, I thought in my brain 
oh, hey, going back to our embodied status, it's not just that I thought in my brain and then I, I write it out so that it quickly escapes onto there. But I just find the act of like a nice pen, I, I like stationary, holding a nice pen um, on nice paper. And that is just a stimulating thing that oftentimes by the end of the sentence, new things are even coming to me. Not in some kind of like ghostwriting clairvoyance way, but it's just <laughs> as I think about things. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I need a new pen. So afterwards you can give me some recommendations. Oh, I've got some recommendations. <laughs> Felt tip, ballpoint, uh, fountain pen. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk later on. We'll talk later on. Um, hey, here's, here's a question for you. Like, like, um, and this comes up in some interviews and, and maybe not others, but like, what are the sort of prayers that you're praying as you're, as you're writing things out? Do you have like discovery prayers, deliberation prayers? Um, how, how is that? And, and forgive me if this is too personal. I know it's a mm. very private act, but, but what are the sort of things that you're praying at these various stages? Yeah, I'm, I'm praying, um, help, help me understand the passage you know, Paul talks about rightly handling the word of God, so I want to be doing that. So I, I pray for protection from misunderstanding things. Um, pray that I will I will understand the passage and, and handle it appropriately and reverently. I'm praying that the Lord would would open my eyes to the truth of Jesus in this text. That it would it would move me first and foremost. That I I would I wouldn't be doing that thing we so easily do where. You look at a text and you think, oh, so-and-so needs to hear that uh, without it first doing the work that that needs to be done in my heart. So I, I pray for God to work in me um, as a priority more than him working through me. Um, because if I want to preach as one who's been spoken to, um, uh, something I heard uh, one of Kevin DeYoung's sermons, his opening prayer was that people would hear a better sermon than the one he preached. Um, having heard that prayer Whoa. now, I can't not pray Whoa. that. Because again, there's that often happens. There's something that that God does in between, a, you know, it leaving my lips and reaching someone's ear. It God sometimes puts some spiritual topspin on it or something because people are often. You know, I'll sit down sometimes and think that was the driest, flattest, most monotonous sermon that has yet been preached. And then someone will come up and and they were just knocked for six by it. And I'll think, were you listening to the same sermon I was preaching? And sometimes they they sort of weren't. So um, I, I pray that one a lot as well. Well, and, and that goes exactly to what you were referencing about Ephesians 2.17, right? That, that Christ is preaching, you know? And so that, yeah, there is another preacher in the room and he's better than us and he has access <laughs> to the, the thoughts and intents of people's hearts. And he is, and I think um, uh, Bonhoeffer talks about preaching and it's kind of poetic imagery, but he, he speaks about that, like, as the word of God is preached vocally, that the, the word of God, Christ, the incarnate word, he like, like, he's like wandering between the pews, uh, mm. like, like touching people and and he is ministering to people as like like under the 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 preaching of of the word and that's a nice it's a nice thought <laughs> and 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 I hope that it's true that that Christ is ministering to his people well there's something of that in the beginning of revelation when he's walking among the lampstands yeah of course so it's yeah. not entirely fanciful yeah well it's it's imagery that I've that I've thought of I I I haven't said it up front, you know, during the sermon. Hey, mm. hey, by the way, guys, Jesus is walking around touching you right now. <laughs> um, but I, I find it to, to be a helpful image that I that I do like to think about and and consider that I'm I'm offering this. I'm gonna be as faithful as I can with the words, but yet there's another person who can do so much more than I can, and he's gonna be there. He's gonna be there. And you know, if there, there are particular needs, I'm aware of individuals I'm aware of that I know that the passage is going to land on in a very particular way. I may be praying for them. Um, there's that as well, or, or I might be praying for how outsiders will receive it. Um, hmm. So there's hmm. those kinds of prayers as well. Well, excellent. Well, I want to do ask you as a, as an Anglican, is there any good like Anglican prayers? Uh, does, the, does the book of common prayer address sermon preparation? Well, there are some wonderful prayers about the, the kind of posture we should have before the Word of God. Um, yeah. So there's, I'm trying to, I'm going to get it hideously wrong, but um, 
read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. Um, I can't remember what that prayer is called now, but it's um, so some wonderful prayers just to sort of get our hearts in the right place to receive to receive God's word for sure. And there's there's great stuff if you go to the there's a section of the Book of Common Prayer for the ordaining of of deacons and presbyters, and particularly there that what what the what they are charged to do is so beautifully explained. So um, that's a good place to go as well. It's called the Ordinal. Well, I will check it out. I've I've got one right here. I've got one right here. <laughs> I will I will check it out. Well, hey, um, as we're like yeah wrapping up this up, uh, maybe the final question that I'd like to ask, uh, and it might maybe to put you on the spot, but like like how are you trying to to improve? Like, do you want to get better? <laughs> are you trying to get better? What's what's something that you'd like to to grow as a preacher? Are you putting work into you right now? Yeah, so I I, I desperately want to be better at this. Um, yeah, and and sometimes it's it's thinking okay, I'll, I'll try and read a a new book or two on preaching each year, um, just to sort of and think about different aspects of preaching that that I might need sharpening up on, whether that's exegetical skills or delivery or application or that kind of thing. Um, sometimes I'll just reread um, John Stott's book on preaching. That's that's helped me a lot over the years. Um, so there's those sorts of things. Um, uh, having preacher friends and, you know, asking other people to help you think through where you can improve um, is is awkward and, and humbling, but but very very useful. Um, and yeah, and just trying to understand the culture I'm in, the the, the sorts of things that are going on in other people's heads that might be hindering them from receiving Christ and thinking, how do I try and understand that as well as I can and, and see if we can get God's word under the, under the skin of it. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, that is, it's, it's always great to see that everyone, everyone is trying to get better. In fact, actually some people aren't trying to get better and they'll never be on this show. <laughs> but I think even, you know, these these kind of role models, like to see that there is this ongoing process because the people who listen to this and, and myself, I, I'm doing this because I want to get better. I'm, I'm, I'm selfish. I want to have these conversations for, for me. And then people too are listening because we want to improve. And even people, I believe like yourself, that we can and ought to learn from that you're trying to improve as well. I think it's just a great uh, model uh, of onward and continued growth. So thanks for letting us in on that. No, no, uh, my pleasure. Well, here's kind of a, uh, uh, I, I'd love to, A, I'd love to hear a little bit about the, the You're Not Crazy podcast, which I, I'm assuming people are, you are probably already aware of, but, but if not, there's that. But first I've heard like a, a, a libelous or slanderous accusation that you don't like tea. You don't drink tea. Is that, is that true? <laughs> Um, it's worse than that. I don't drink tea or coffee, so I've offended now the UK and the US. My goodness, what do you drink in the morning? Um, honestly, I tend to drink water or fruit juice. So having a shower in the morning is my caffeine. That's what wakes is me it? up. That's what gets me ready for the day. Um, okay. And for anyone I've offended, what I'm really, I'm just leaving more tea and coffee in the world for everybody else. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, can't can argue with that. Okay. Well, thanks. And uh, why don't you? Tell us about the You're Not Crazy podcast. Yeah, so this is um, uh, a podcast, uh, I guess, mainly aimed at younger pastors. Ray Auckland is the is the he and I host it together. Um, it's really my my well, as far as I'm concerned, it's trying to get all the good stuff out of Ray that will help encourage younger pastors. Um, but really, for anyone who's who's interested in the health of the local church, our focus really is on how to make sure our churches don't just assent to gospel truth, but actually embody something of a felt gospel reality. Um, so that the, the kind of grace of Christ actually beautifies the relationships um, and culture we have within our local churches. So it's called You're Not Crazy Gospel Sanity for Young Pastors because we want pastors who are, are yearning for every aspect of church life to reflect that grace, the gentleness and loneliness of Christ himself. We want to say to them, listen, you're not crazy for wanting that. Let's, let's all aim for that together. 
and not just be churches that are orthodox on paper and yet harsh, judgmental, you know, unwelcoming and all those sorts of things. Yeah. Well, yeah, certainly. Well, thank you so much for, I guess, hosting and and creating those conversations and uh, asking those questions to to Ray for us. But but certainly, I, I like what you say back. It's not just a a, a uh, fountain dripping wisdom from from one direction down. It's a, a great conversation to listen in on. So so thank you so much for that, Sam. And so yeah, the book "What God Has to Say About Our Bodies" is available from Crossway and 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 others as well. Crossway has published a few other of your books as well, or are those from other publishers? Um, no, Crossway have done some. Others have done some as well. Okay, so we'll, we'll link them all in the show notes. But uh, but yeah, Sam, thanks very much. And for those that are listening, I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's word. All right, thanks, Sam. Thank you. Well, thanks again to Sam for talking to us again for the second attempt of this conversation. We always like to do a practice round just at the beginning. So thanks for for doing the real thing. You know, Sam mentioned the podcast that himself and Ray Ortland have been doing uh, called You're Not Crazy. And there'll be a link to that as well as to other resources from Sam in the show notes of this episode. Uh, there's also going to be a link to a conversation from last year that I got to have with Ray Ortland himself. Uh, it's a phenomenal interview, and uh, I hope that you listen to it uh, immediately after this. And I hope that you're subscribed to this podcast. Uh, next Tuesday, we have episode 189 coming out, which is a very focused conversation on the importance and the value of sermon introductions. Why should the first thing out of your mouth be something that's clear, compelling, and inviting? So in this conversation from next week, myself and Nick Katie speak about not just the importance of introductions, but also how to write good ones. So make sure you're subscribed so that automatically shows up in your device or on your YouTube or on Spotify. And I really hope that it encourages you. All right. I hope that this episode and all that we do helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. God bless you.